Welcome to Katie Conversations, the Community Four podcast. In this podcast, we discuss design trends, design methodologies, and explore with our guests how together we can design a better world. So, hi, I'm Kerry Briggs. I'm head of medical here at KD, um, and I've got with me my colleague Sunny Panasar, who is head of portfolio management. Um, and then also, we're really pleased um, to have Ellie Foreman with us. Um, to talk today about AI. Um, uh, she's from the Southwest Creative Technology Network. Welcome to Katie, Ellie. Thanks. Um, it'd be great if you could give us just a little bit of background on the work that you've been doing recently. Um, I know some of my colleagues heard you speak at the Anthropology and Technology Conference recently at the Watershed in Bristol and, and thought it was really interesting. Um, so we'd be really keen to hear more. Thanks, yeah, sure. So I've got a background in philosophy before retraining as a software developer. And over the last 10 months, I've been doing a research fellowship with Southwest Creative Technology Network, which is such a mouthful, um, looking into how conversational AI is being used in healthcare and therapy. Mm-hmm. So specifically chatbots, which are aimed to emotionally support the user. And my interest in this area kind of stems from working in bereavement support and also volunteering for the Samaritans. So thinking about how technology can be used to provide reflective listening and help users work their way through their emotions. Um, so can you give us an example of how that's been done at the moment? Yeah, sure. So conversational AI in general is just um, a form of technology which enables us to interact with computers using natural language, so that could be speech or text. And um, there's recently been a huge amount in the number of chatbots um, being released to provide emotional support. So an example of that is Wobot, which is a therapy chatbot made by Facebook. It's got such a terrible name. Um, but Wobot uses CBT to help users monitor their mental health. So you basically download an app and then you'll be talking to this chatbot and it essentially helps you work through your emotions and provides emotional support in that way. And do you think people have found that they've been able to open up more to the bot rather than to a friend or a colleague, for example? How have they, how have they found that? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting question because... There, surprisingly, there have been quite a few studies that show that people are more willing to open up to technology compared to a human because, because of that lack of judgment. And even though you don't get the, um, the same support you would from a human, you know that there's nothing judging you and you don't have to worry about how you're presenting to someone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting. The judgment point is an interesting one. I was talking to a GP recently who was saying that sometimes people lie about their conditions because I mean, a whole host of reasons. It could be acceptance being mm-hmm. the, the biggest one, but employment, being able to you know, keep their driving license in some cases, um, employers finding out about, not only employers, insurance companies and what that does to their premiums. So I guess there's a whole host of reasons as to why someone may not be fully forthcoming to a person, but would to a chatbot. Yeah, definitely. And there's a whole different, um there's a whole area around that people feel that there's a lack of judgment, which there definitely is, because you know the technology has no emotion in that sense. But then, still, from a data aspect, you're still not sure how your data is being used, which is interesting. So, in terms of insurance um, or getting a job, because of what you said, there's no means of proving that that wouldn't be the same talking to technology as it would a human. So how's that being dealt with at the moment? Is it disclosed to the users where their data is going and how it's being used? Or is, is that kind of a bit of an unknown to those users? Yeah, so at, 
all of the therapy chatbots that I've um, used have always had their privacy policy on their website. And a few have offered that in our initial conversation. So when you log on to the app, start the conversation, it says, just to remind you, I'm just a chatbot, I'm not a human, this is how your data is being used. But Wobot, before it um, was released on an independent app, was on Facebook Messenger. And when it was being used on Facebook Messenger, the same data regulations applied as anything on Facebook Messenger, so your data could be shared with third parties, which is more problematic. But since they've got their own independent app, that's different, and it's all contained within the app. So how often are they reminded of said security laws? It's really dependent on different ones, but everything that I've used, only the first conversation. Okay, so someone could quite quickly forget about that and continue their conversation as if they would with a, a human. Yeah, and there's really interesting studies on in how humans interact with technology, um, conversational AI, which you know presents like a human. And there's really interesting studies about how subconsciously we easily slip into behaving like it is a human. So that's interesting in terms of data and how often you need to be reminded. At KD, we work with lots of different companies that are looking to employ new technology, in particular within the medical field, we see lots of people talking about connected digital devices and often because they see their competitors doing it rather than because they have really understood the value that they might get from from their own devices with their own users Um, and at the moment you know we're not seeing a lot of our uh, clients talking about AI I think it's a buzzword at the moment but they're not clear on how they would implement that in their technology so do you see it as being something that becomes kind of much a much bigger part of healthcare? Yeah, I think definitely in um, the NHS's report on AI in the future, they were really positive in how conversation AI could be used in healthcare. Um, And I do think because it's so much easier to talk to a human voice, like you were saying before, to remind patients to take their medicine, or there's also been cases of... um, Conversation AI being developed to help track dementia. So being in a relative's home and they talk to the device every day and then it can tell as their language is getting worse and when you need different stages of when they need help, which is an interesting use. It is. And is that something that's kind of widely available just now or are these examples all quite kind of early user and clinical trials to see how they can be really applied to the home? I'm not completely sure if that's available. I think everything's in an early stage at the moment. Yeah, okay. But they're definitely, in terms of conversation <coughs> AI in mental health, that's definitely an area which is very quickly becoming very saturated. There are so many different chatbots for so many different forms of mental health, um, which in the last few years have just been rolled out very quickly. And do you think there's any examples there where people are reluctant to talk to the bots? You know that there is a point where they're willing to go so far, so far, but ultimately want to speak to a person or aren't willing to disclose that information. Or have we not got to that point yet? Yeah, I think it's it's interesting because one of the things I've definitely learned whilst doing this research is that people tend to have a really negative reaction when hearing about the use of AI in this way. So I think you have to have a particular mind frame to download an app mm-hmm. in the first place, and then they're definitely only useful. For certain things and at the moment the technology isn't that sophisticated so if you want a deep conversation with another human you would quickly find 
that the conversation you're having with the bot is very surface level. So I'm sure those people would stop using the bot and seek help from another human. But then again, if you just want a space to be able to reflect on your emotions. Mm -hmm. And that, I guess, is why it works well with CBT. Um, because there's already so many cases of computerized CBT. Um, like, Sorry, uh, what is CBT? Cognitive behavioral therapy. Okay. So using more kind of practical approaches to changing your behavior and your thought process. Okay. Going back to your point about the text and not being fully developed yet, mm -hmm. I'm assuming it will be in, in years to come, but won't that bring its own problems? in terms of the morality, I guess, and is it the right method to have you know, someone perhaps thinking they are speaking to a human when in fact it is a bot? Yeah, I find that really fascinating, the idea of artificial personalities. And Microsoft have a um, an AI system called Showice, which is this really sophisticated chatbot, but it's more than a chatbot, it's a whole system, and it... Um, you can talk to it in chatbot form. It also presents TV shows, writes music, writes poetry, has recently um, made a brand of fabric designs um, for the fashion industry. <laughs> so it's really, it's got very widespread on its use. But that has 660 million users worldwide. And people, although they know it's just a technology, really feel like they develop a relationship with it. And she gets lots of love letters and proposals and people really value it as a friend in a way and it has one of the highest um, levels of back-to-back -back communication so back and forth communication her average is um, 24 dialogue turns so that means that it's 24 back and forth with the user which is by far higher than most chatbots um, I think it's really interesting that even though you people know that they're just talking to a technology. When you have this artificial personality that you become really attached to and develop a trusting relationship with, you can easily forget that. Yeah. And I think there's a really interesting area between what's effective in terms of mental health support versus what we feel is a socially responsible approach for companies to be taking. Because when you develop this sense of trust for an artificial personality, it gives a lot of power to the company to start, essentially, if they wanted to start manipulating user behaviour or even, you know, just users feeling more willing to divulge their personal data, forgetting that it's Microsoft they're talking to rather than the particular personality of Showice. That's a really interesting point. I guess I'd always just thought, thought of it that if the outcome was best for the patient, then so be it. Um, putting the, the values and ethics aside, if it is helping the patient to to a better outcome, then you know it's a good it's, it's good for everyone. However, I guess there are some other concerns as you've mentioned about perhaps companies starting to manipulate the data. What kind of regulation is there in this space? So at the moment, obviously it's just GDPR compliance, but there's no additional regulation with mental health chatbots. So would these um, chatbots not be considered a medical device at the moment? At the moment, no. So that's a really interesting point because most of them, you know, medical devices have a very broad definition according to the regulators and most have really clear um, understanding of what needs to be done in terms of being regulated and making sure you're meeting the standards. And that can be both from a technical perspective, but also from an ethical perspective. You know, when we talk about clinical trials, etc. 
Um, but at the moment, this is kind of falling out with that standard regulated band. Um, and it's kind of sounds like it's completely unregulated at the moment, which could add complexity as we try and develop AI into what is more traditionally known as a medical device. I think there's some thought needed there, I guess, in terms of how we actually apply that technology. Yeah, I guess a good follow-on question would be, what, what is an outcome of your interaction with this bot? There's really limited empirical research into the effectiveness of mental health chatbots in general. But if you have carried out a clinical trial, so Wobot um, carried out a trial where they um, used and spoke to it for two weeks and they found that it decreased symptoms of depression compared to when they were um, just doing an online cognitive behavioural um, test. So, well, so that was compared to a different form of support or no support rather than talking to a human. So would the bot ever recommend someone then go and speak to an HCP or a care or their GP or maybe contact emergency services in an extreme situation? Yeah, pretty much at the moment, not even in an extreme situation, but at the moment when you start conversation with most of the therapy chatbots, they'll say, I want you to know that I'm not a replacement for a human. It would still be good to seek human help. But definitely in an emergency situation, if a user said that they were thinking about taking their life, there would be a procedure in place to deal with that. But again, I don't think that's a, a regulated area. It's just a social responsibility of the company. Yeah. yeah, and I guess there's variations in terms of the type of help people would need and what could be considered an emergency situation. The example you gave of taking your life was quite kind of clear cut. Mm-hmm. process I guess you would go through that whereas if they started to give um, examples of kind of physical health concerns it might be more difficult for them to make a call to, to one particular person and know kind of how to, to approach that. And there have been issues of um, the BBC did a study which found that a few of the chatbots which were recommended by a certain NHS trust weren't recognising um, childhood abuse okay. and that was something which obviously had to be dealt with differently by it was both a chatbot wiser and robot okay so in terms of so that's something I would even consider if I was not that I'm going to develop well, um, any AI myself but if I was thinking about the types of considerations we need to give in a project if it was going into a clinical trial for example or as part of a medical device I think there's obvious options that you need to consider in terms of the patient's and physical and mental well-being but in terms of abuse for example that wouldn't be an immediate concern that would come to my mind that we need to be looking out for those kind of areas so what's the best way to consider the kind of broader piece when we are kind of looking at developing AI to, to help our patients? I think continuous assessment in general is really important and also being able to pinpoint times where interacting with the chatbot could potentially harm the user mm-hmm. which is really difficult because if you're having a conversation with a human, if if you get a complaint to the company or just negative feedback to you as a person, you know that that conversation didn't go very well. Whereas when you're having an automated conversation, it's much harder for the company to be able to pinpoint exactly where they failed the user. Yeah. And I guess the point there, as you see, is kind of continuous updates. So how regularly at the moment or have we got the ability to make changes if there are complaints or you know, just improvements that we see kind of along the way in these in these particular conversations. 
yeah, I'm not sure how how often they're updated, but I know after the BBC um, found the failure to um, see child abuse with Wiser, they updated that to deal with that. Okay, because I guess that's something that consumers have got really used to with like mobile technology that mm-hmm. your phones and apps are very very regularly being updated. You almost don't notice when it's happening now. And that's a real challenge within medical devices, which in particular the FDA are trying to address with their task force to look at how can we change the way that we develop connected devices, for example, to make sure that we are able to make changes very quickly. Because at the moment, the way the regulatory system is, it would take a really long time to make those changes, then properly test and verify them before you could actually apply them. And I think that's kind of an ongoing challenge with these aspects of technology that you can see real value how do we actually embed them properly into our products so that they can be regularly updated and that we're learning as we go? Yeah, I think that's such an interesting point because they don't count as medical devices. They can be updated mm-hmm. as often as the company needs. But then also, because they don't have to abide by the same regulation, there's also more of a risk that they're going to be put in the market without proper trials. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's such an interesting um tension between the two yeah and I guess as well as AI develops and people start to become more comfortable and really understand what it means for our products then you'd start to see it embedded I would imagine in lots of different products not just the kind of chatbots where people are specifically going for that one service but it might be built into our devices to help with adherence or help encourage people to use their devices properly or more effectively and then that does start to go into that territory of it being a medical device and there will be aspects of risk that we need to be considered um, that would kind of move it from the position it's in at the moment, which is kind of on the outskirts, and take it much more kind of front and centre and need that further thought. Yeah, definitely. And I think at the moment we're in a period where the ethical implications of AI is becoming really widely spoken about and people are really trying to dig into how we can fix that mm-hmm. at the moment. So there's a lot of work in explainable AI and how to build AI systems that themselves are better able to be explained. Yeah, because we hear a lot about the likes of like Google and Apple moving into healthcare. It's an enormous market for growth. Um, but I think also when you hear those big names, you have kind of reservations or concerns about what is their motivations for doing that? If it is just for money, you know, what, what are they then going to do with your data? Because, you know, that's probably the most valuable resource that they can have now. And um, so particularly when you hear of these bigger brands, I think people have concerns. I wonder if whether... If it's a smaller startup, people have more reason to believe in their motivations and so might be more willing to give their data in those scenarios. Yeah, definitely. And I guess there's a big discrepancy in terms of how expensive it is to develop these systems. Mm-hmm. So you do see, you know, Robot, one of the biggest therapy chatbots out there, made by Facebook because they have the infrastructure to be able to make that system really effective. But I think sorry, yeah, it's interesting um, what you were saying about developing a relationship with these artificial personalities and possibly in a future where we have more chatbots, voice assistants and even robots made for companionship whether the fact that they are made by big tech corporations changes how we feel about that relationship yeah because we went to um, to visit um, UE in Bristol Um, and the robotics lab has a robot that they've used to kind of live with patients 
um, particularly elderly patients, to try and help them take their medication and also be able to raise an alarm if there is some sort of issue. And my initial reaction to it was, I wouldn't want something in my house watching me all the time. But actually, when you met the robot, um, it had this really nice face. And the way that it um, talked to you was actually really welcoming. And it was surprising to me how quickly... I got used to talking to it and it, it was no longer, I wasn't just thinking this is just a robot, it's just a piece of machinery. I actually was starting to kind of engage much more in it is that um, than I'd expected. Yeah, Yeah. as soon as you see Peppa dance, everyone falls <laughs> in love with her. It's like I the most likable to see her dance. But yeah, just the way she kind of talked to you and the way she moved around was much more accommodating and it wasn't nearly as intrusive as you might expect. And I guess that's part of what you're seeing from the bots that you're talking about in terms of CBT that it's not necessarily considered intrusive anymore and it's seen much more as being a helpful aid and something that people can trust in and I guess it's trying to get that balance right and kind of changing people's perceptions that might be slightly reluctant because as you mentioned if if we're relying on people to download the app for example an elderly patient with Alzheimer's might be able to get help from these types of services but they're probably not going to download it themselves so how do they get that prescribed for example does their GP help them get that or does it have to be a family member that kind of steps in to support them with that and how do they have that awareness etc so there's I guess there's a much bigger kind of ecosystem around it in terms of how do we get the most out of this type of technology yeah definitely and the huge issue around informed consent of vulnerable sectors of vulnerable people using this technology which has the potential to be really helpful but also has a lot of risk that needs to be mitigated yeah, well, I think people, although they might have their concerns and they might be a little bit standoffish, I think it comes down to incentive as well. I mean, I'm a typical case that, you know, I, for many years, put off wearing any kind of tracker or you know, anything that measured what my activity was or my heart rate was doing. And look at me, I'm sat here wearing an Apple Watch, which is doing all of those things, which is reporting back to an insurance company what I'm up to or not doing. Um, but the incentive for me is that it's paid for if I hit my exercise criteria, for example. So I think my point is that people quickly forget those concerns if there is an incentive. And in the case, you know, in this assisted living robot, if someone is feeling vulnerable and just needs someone to talk to, then I think those concerns will be alleviated somewhat when they see the benefit. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that comes back around to the point that we talked about earlier in terms of adherence that if, um, if you can give people the right motivation to adhere to particular cycles with their health, the example with you and your, your watch that's making you run, um, if you can do that within medical devices as a whole, then the overall um, improvement in the patient's life should be much more significant because we know at the moment that the majority of people aren't taking their medications as prescribed, so they're just not going to get the right outcome. Yeah, and even in clinical trials, if people are our clients are reliant on patients in say clinical trials giving them data and then they're responding to the data we need to ensure that or help our clients ensure that they're getting the data and the data is as objective as possible so I see like quite an area of a huge gap here which could be potentially filled uh, with the likes of chatbots and AI. Yeah it would be an enormous step forward from the kind of paper records that are being used in clinical trials which always surprises me because a clinical trial will cost you millions of pounds to run for a drug um, and it, it will be make or break for your project. It will be the decision of, of whether it gets launched or not, um, which is right, but then to rely on, first of all, a, pe a person. And we all know we're kind of unreliable with data. 
um, if you ask someone how they do something then watch them do it they'll probably actually do it in a different way and we see that all the time with our human factors team um, but if you're actually able to kind of follow up on some of the points in that diary and, and just ask at the time well, why, why did you wrap this way or why was that your feedback then that's much more useful data in a clinical trial to help them to tailor the regime of the drug tailor the information that the patient's been given in terms of how they have to take it um, so there's definitely enormous potential yeah, within definitely. that cli clinical trial space. And especially with um, people who already have voice assistants in their home, someone that's already got an Alexa or a Google Home, mm -hmm. that could, at a certain time of day, just say, hi, have you taken yeah. your pills that you need to take after lunch? Mm -hmm. And it's so much easier just to respond back. In fact, it almost seems rude to have a human voice talking to you and not respond back. And do you think now that people are so used to having like an Alexa in their home that the next natural step is to have that type of support? And so it's, you know, 10 years ago, if you'd said you're going to have something in your home asking you these questions, that could have been quite shocking in some ways because that wasn't technology people were used to having. But now that people have the likes of Alexa, do you think that's just kind of normalised the fact that we might have this or we will have this technology in our homes encouraging us and, and trying to kind of promote certain behaviours? Definitely. Whilst doing workshops on automated well-being, something that comes up quite a lot is that people initially felt reluctant to having a voice assistant in their home and then were given one for Christmas or a birthday and then as soon as it became integrated into their house, became an everyday object, they really felt like they developed a bond and all those questions you have before about you know, feeling that maybe it asking something would be too intrusive suddenly kind of melt away a little bit as mm -hmm. it becomes more commonplace. And how do you, I think one of the things you mentioned in your talk was about trying to get the balance right where the person feels supported by it rather than it being something that kind of nags at them. How do we kind of learn from human behaviour to try and implement that in the devices that we're developing? I think it's really difficult because in, for me anyway, during this research, I downloaded so many different therapy chatbots. And so I get a million push notifications a day saying, how are you feeling this morning? Do you want to check in? How did your day go? Mm -hmm. And I think ultimately with so many of these technologies, you just need user engagement to want to engage in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, and I think taking these devices off your phone also helps. What, what do you mean by having them on a separate device? or So having a voice assistant or integrating it into wearable technology rather than... You know, we're so used to getting notifications constantly on our phone and our emails popping up and just always swiping yeah. notifications away. That's a huge challenge because the more people are looking at connected devices, everyone is looking at it from their point of view, their individual device. And so if you have a chronic health condition, it's very unlikely that you just have one medication or one treatment. You probably have a kind of whole system of things that are trying to kind of help you live your life better and make you more well. Um, and that's something we talk a lot about is the kind of ecosystem behind that in terms of what do you do with all this data that's coming at you all day, every day if you're constantly getting reminders, notifications, questions at you um, at some point I think, you know, I've certainly got apps on my phone that I just ignore now because it's, there's too much data every day but if you've got that chronic health condition that's a real challenge to kind of deal with all that on top of your normal life. And now look at it from you know, your GP or your HCP perspective and they've got how many hundreds of patients on potentially how many tens of different treatments and various apps reporting back to them. So I guess my question is, I mean, given the increasing pressure on our NHS and health service, 
do you think AI in this area will relieve our GPs of workload or add to it going forward? It's really difficult because at the moment the technology just isn't advanced enough to be able to even slightly compare to human level of intelligence and emotion, especially emotional intelligence. So there's no way at the moment that talking to a therapy chatbot would come anywhere near to having a discussion with your GP. But in terms of those menial tasks, like you were saying, personally I don't know how much time it takes GPs to um, to track precisely um, how people are taking their medicine. But for a really menial task, it could work. But nothing like the amount of emotional support that our GPs give us. And at the moment, is there any feedback? So the people that are using these tools, is there any way that it feeds back to their GP, for example, so that they are getting a snapshot of the data to use in terms of how they then treat their patients? Or are they two quite kind of separate activities where you have the bot that you're maybe using for CBT and then you have a GP that might be giving you prescription medication or um, different types of therapies, for example? Are they linked in any way or are they quite separate? So I'm not sure about GPs, but there are definitely companies which integrate having a chatbot with a therapist all under the same umbrella company and that has proven to be the most effective means of support where you check in with the chatbot every day but you have a weekly conversation with the same therapist a qualified therapist who knows how to help you and knows how to be able to interpret that data it's interesting actually i think we've started to see a little bit of it there was um one of our our colleagues at kd had a potential health issue and went through our health insurance vitality spoke to a chatbot initially and I think he was sent an add-on for his mobile phone like a camera almost and it was to take a picture of a, a skin condition it was sent back I think it was actually a mobile they sent him so they sent him an actual phone with the add-on on there they sent it back with the pictures on and then that was enough for them to speak to I'm not sure who some sort of healthcare professional and then give the relevant treatment so I think it's already starting to come yeah and especially using AI for, um, this definitely isn't my area of expertise, but using AI to be able to look at scans and map loads of different conditions um, to specifically identify different issues, that's a huge area of AI being used in medical. I guess the challenge there is how much data do you need to get to a point that you trust the AI's decision, which is quite interesting because human beings make mistakes all the time, you're having a bad day, you're not slept very well so you're tired. a doctor can look at a scan and make a mistake these things happen unfortunately but the level I think that we'd expect from the AI would be really quite high before I think we'd be able to say yeah we just trust the AI and we don't have to have a doctor and HCP look back at the data and check it themselves and kind of sign it off to say yeah we we agree with it Um, and even when you've got a human working with the technology we also have a tendency to assume the technology is correct, which is difficult in itself, getting the balance right of trusting your own judgment whilst also using the technology we have at the moment. I think it echoes Kerry's point that this is an ecosystem and I think for us to get the best outcomes, it has to consider a number of different people and get input from all sides. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's really interesting in terms of how like you were saying about how efficient a therapy chatbot could be and if it if it's efficient and it's helping you then surely that's enough 
And I think because of how we subconsciously develop a relationship with a social chatbot, there needs to be some kind of regulation there to protect the user. But I think that has to be done by policy rather than just company decisions so that we know when we start our conversation with these kind of social technologies that we are protected. Yeah, so I'm going to leave my mind takes me straight to uh, ex machina and the outcome there. So hopefully we can avoid that. And do you think that is something that's been looked at at a policy level from what you can see to try and kind of make sure the right regulation is in place? I'm not sure. I don't know. There's There's been a lot of papers that have come out about how we can responsibly design AI specifically looking at bias and data sets. Mm-hmm. Um, but within regulating specifically conversational AI and mental health care, I'm not sure of the work being done there at, in, at the moment. And it's really disputed whether um, it is just the perception of emotion which is important or whether this fake emotion is in itself inherently deceptive. And if something is inherently deceptive, whether that's an immoral stance for the company to be taking in the first place. I think it's really useful that you've got a background in philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's, it's difficult because you can go so deep kind of into what's most important, the intention behind our action or the action itself. And that's, especially when you're talking about conscious and subconscious, that's a really diff- difficult area to create policy in. Because you start, can't start policing how we subconsciously interact with technology. Yeah, it sounds like a tricky ground. I guess we have to look at the outcome and work back from that. Ellie, given where the tech is at the moment, where do you think we'll be in sort of five to ten years? Will the people in this room be using it? I think especially considering how unsophisticated the technology is at the moment, but yet people are finding it effective. In five years, as the technology develops, I can definitely see it being of help to everyone to have something in which a safe space is provided to talk about your emotion. But I do think there's a need to identify the effects and the potential risks of chatbots, voice assistants, and robots made for emotional support and companionship before they become commonplace. There's a lot of work that needs to be done really looking into that area. That's really interesting. I think all that's left to do is say thanks for coming in. Thank, Thank you. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.